I think what we're really seeing in the second wave is tools built by people who have been doing this for a while, as opposed to this kind of first wave gold rush where this is how they think that betters operate versus the people who have kind of been in the trenches are building things like forged out of the crucible of experience and the ability to impart that wisdom, I think, like opens up a whole new landscape. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my discussion with Colin Davey from Betscope, which provides betting intelligence for intelligent bettors. With this being the first episode recorded since G2E in Las Vegas, Colin and I compared notes from our time at the conference, which includes his experience pitching at the Innovation Challenge, where the judging panel unanimously declared Colin and Betscope the winner. In addition, Colin tells us a story of the time he leveraged his background as a data scientist to win an episode of Jeopardy, why price discovery is such an important concept for bettors to understand, and why he's planning to keep Betscope bootstrapped for as long as possible. I really enjoyed this episode with Colin, and I hope you do too. But before we get started, I need to be honest here for a second. I know that some of you listening aren't yet subscribed to the Betting Startups newsletter, and I have no idea why. It's literally the easiest way to passively follow the betting industry's early stage ecosystem. So please do your part to make me stop repeating myself here and subscribe now at news.bettingstartups.com. All right, we are back here on the Betting Startups podcast. And according to the abacus on my desk here, we're up to episode 45. And for this one, we're welcoming Colin from Betscope, who, like me, has just returned from the G2E conference. This is the first episode I'm recording since the show. And I think I've finally just caught up on sleep. But, you know, Colin, for you, I just wanted to check in as a starting point today and ask how you're doing and how the G2E conference was for you and Betscope. Oh, the show was absolutely fantastic. This is actually my first time at GDE. I was far more of a Sloan veteran prior for on that conference circuit. And I was there to obviously pitch uh, Betscope in the startup competition. And we're fortunate to enough to win the competition. And that's about as good as a GDE can go for someone uh, with a startup in their back pocket. Uh, you know, we can get into the the nuts and bolts of Betscope in a little bit, but, you know, as someone who chose to kind of self-fund and bootstrap the startup, you never quite know what you have as opposed to people who go out there and raise money, do the vetting. And so I, I probably don't have to tell you twice how long you can spend in the wilderness wondering, am I crazy? Am I on to something? Like, what kind of signal do I need? And to win that competition going head to head against plenty of other places that have been vetted and raised money. The validation alone is so worth it, and I've slept so much easier after I also got my rest. I know we're joking prior that Las Vegas is a terrible place to go for work because it's designed to make you not get any rest at any point. So I needed a vacation after my vacation, quote unquote. Well, first and foremost, Colin, you know, massive congratulations to you and Betscope on winning the Innovation Challenge at G2E. I was sitting there in the front row for all five pitches. And look, I've been going to these things for quite a while now. And I really have to say that the caliber of the five startups that pitched in the competition at G2E were truly reflective of the quality of entrepreneurs and ideas that were getting into the space now. And just as a, you know, punctuating point on the G2E conference, just curious if you can, you know, share your sentiment on what you see from an innovation perspective perspective within the industry right now and, you know, looking at some of your peers that were up there on stage with you at the Innovation Challenge, also presenting and just some of the other stuff that maybe you saw at the conference. What are you sort of seeing out there from an innovation perspective that has your wheels turning beyond the work you're doing at Betscope? 
I think it's so refreshing to see what emerges after the low hanging fruit has already been plucked. Um, I think there's, you know, a ton of concepts that have been around since the offshore markets that people have kind of now more formalized, maybe put a little bit of polish, polish on them. And they've gotten good consumer traction because the total addressable market has grown in this country. What I'm really excited to see now is what do you do when that fruit has been plucked? And what I think is really starting to emerge are people like the, the tools and the startups and all of the different companies from people who have been at this for a while and are really pushing the barriers of innovation uh, because like there there is no easy fruit left to pluck. So let's see like what happens when we have to dig a little bit deeper and truly give people something that they haven't seen before. It's going to be wild. Some of it might fail. Bedscope could very well be one of those that fail. I'm the first to say that I built something with a pretty high learning curve and it's definitely out there. But this is the definition of taking risks. Sometimes you got to put out something different there and it's it's worth a flyer. Good as investment thesis I've ever heard of. Yeah, completely agree and endorse that, Colin. So uh, let's leave G2E where it is and maybe just as a primer before we get into Betscope specifically, maybe we can just spend a few minutes talking about yourself and for the benefit of folks listening, if you could give us a bit of an introduction and maybe share some of the major chapters of your background prior to the founding of Betscope. Sure, absolutely. So I've been involved in data science and the sports analytics industry in some capacity for about a decade now. It was kind of somewhere between a hobby and a semi-amateur occupation of mine doing analytics on various underserved sports like golf and tennis for years. Uh, I was lucky enough to have kind of my first breakthrough of the scene by winning the uh, first two iterations of the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference Hackathon, where that kind of solidified you know, a little bit of brand to it. So I've always loved analytics, gambling prediction. I think it's just predicting what's going to happen. It remains one of the fundamentally harder questions in all of sports analytics. And there's plenty of applications and sports betting just happens to be one of them. Um, Betscope, the originally the origination, I should say, for Betscope came when I read probably the, the book that I cannot recommend to anyone, whether you're an aspiring better, whether you're industry or not. This book called The Logic of Sports Betting by Ed Miller and Matthew Davido. I imagine it comes up in plenty of these conversations, but as some even having been in the space for years, it was so eye-opening in terms of a practical and actionable and yet not giving too much away in terms of how to attack the emerging sports betting market. And a lot of concepts on it were really based around price sensitivity and how to harness that in your everyday kind of routine as a sports better. And when I wanted to apply the concepts that they're kind of advocating, I noticed that there just really weren't any tools available that did all the concepts that they were doing well. So I guess like any good origin story, I decided to build the tool that I would have wanted to use. And so there are a bunch of ways to go about it. But, you know, the core conceit of it is not only do I think that betters need to do this in terms of incorporating price sensitivity in a more meaningful way that they're doing already, but we can do it in a fun way and invent a completely new user experience where it's a little bit of a shift where instead of users taking pride on, oh, look at how smart I am for coming up with, you know, I know better than the books. Maybe it's look at how smart I am or I know where to get my money down and all these little markets that other people might not be thinking of. And I know how to capitalize on this concept that no one else does. Awesome. And I also want to ask Colin, just on the betting side specifically, right? I mean, with your background as a data scientist, and you've written about this before, so I have a bit of a, a window into it, but 
I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about just the background you have with betting and, and I guess developing some of your own models and basically your experience on that side of the counter over the last 10 years. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It is kind of the gateway drug into all things data science and sports analytics, depending on what your path dependency is. Um, I think anyone who kind of stakes any claim on making predictions or probabilities of any kind, like the, the betting markets are the ultimate validator of that. I think by now people are getting a little bit more wise to plenty of places have probabilities and odds and forecasts and all of that. But a decent sanity check for mine is, you know, if it's any good, then it should make money. And so that is kind of the the standard that I feel I always have to hold myself to if I'm trying to go about trying to predict something. So I've spent a lot of time under the hood in different sports, uh, mostly in golf and tennis, like I said previously, because those are a little bit underserved. Um, the introductory kind of algorithm that I had based on this concept called Markov chains was really good about like ranking like disparate populations. And that had a really good application to individual sports. And so that's why I kind of ended up focusing on golf and tennis. But more than anything, it just gives you a window into there really is no limit to how much you can improve a model. You literally have everything to price in. It gives you a good understanding of what you can price in with data, what you can't price in with data, and where those adjustments need to be made, and really getting a sense of you know your own limitations when you're building a model as a data scientist. I, I think we're kind of past the pay, the phase where data science was indistinguishable from saying magic in terms of you know pitches in terms of what it could do for companies. And unless you get that feedback cycle over and over and over again of how good or how bad it is, depending on what you don't do, it really gives you a grounded sense on what it means to build meaningful models. Awesome. And and one more question, just on your background as a data scientist, I'd be absolutely remiss if I didn't bring this up. And I know you've told this story a number of times now, so bear with me here, Colin. A few episodes ago, we had a guest on Nick Bonadio from Big Brain Games, who told probably the craziest story I've heard on the podcast so far after 40 something episodes, which is his story of how he went on the TV show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And he had this whole plan. And if he won, you know, he would basically start his first startup with the proceeds from that. And that was like the craziest story I could ever conceive to be told on this podcast. And it only took a few episodes later to this one where uh, I think that story might actually be topped. You went on the game show Jeopardy and basically developed an entire, I guess, system that ultimately resulted in you winning Jeopardy. And wondering, Colin, if you can tell folks listening a bit of that story about how you applied your data science background to preparing for Jeopardy and just sort of the whole arc of your Jeopardy journey. Sure, absolutely. So the full story is kind of explained. There's an easy to find Googleable article called How I Won Jeopardy with Data Science by me, Colin Davey. So please read it if you're interested in listening. The summary version is I knew going in that uh, one of the quirks specifically of Jeopardy was that they reward frequent listeners and viewers of the show with these concepts called Pavlov clues, where if you hear certain keyword phrases in the prompts, there's always going to be like an associated answer. Classic examples, whenever you hear Tahitian women in an art question, the answer is always going to be Gauguin. And so I hadn't watched nearly as much as the show as the people I'd go up against. So I need to find a way to watch a lot of Jeopardy in a short amount of time. So my approach to it was knowing that there is this we uh, volunteer website called J Archive that had all the texts of the questions going back to the 80s. Uh, I scraped the entire site and ran the whole corpus of text through some natural language processing algorithms to try to extract, extract those keywords 
and dump them into word clouds so I could kind of come up with my own flashcards of studying. The net effect is when I wanted to cram on a single subject when I was preparing for the show, instead of having to memorize the entire Wikipedia article for every answer, I only had to memorize five words, and it was basically an 80-20 approach. And so the volume and breadth of material I was able to study and retain was far greater. And as it so happened, it happened to be the winning margin of the episode that I watched, because there are definitely three questions I would not have gotten without that approach. And that was the literal margin of victory for my episode. So it got me over the finish line. Well, that's a crazy story. And then just just to put a stamp on that one, Colin, you know, Nick, when he was on a few episodes ago talking about who wants to be a millionaire, he talked about just being in the studio there and meeting Regis. Just wondering if you can pull a curtain back on your experience sort of being in the Jeopardy studio there and just sort of what that side of things were like. So I could talk about this for hours. Uh, The number one thing is they warn you how fast it'll go and it still goes faster. I legitimately don't remember answering half the questions that I did. So that's just, you know, buyer beware for anyone that goes on the show. The heartwarming part, though, is I was also lucky enough to get on right before Trebek stepped down. And the way I describe him is he is the exception to the rule of never meet your heroes. He is so professional and so considerate and just everything you'd want him to be. He is that and more. And just to be able to bear witness to that and just kind of be in the same room, especially given how things, you know, like ended up turning out afterwards. It was just an honor and a privilege to be able to be there, not only in an institution of a show, but with the person who made it the institution that it is. So nothing but good things to say. 100%. Well, what a fantastic memory for you and an amazing story for the rest of us to listen to. Um, Let's leave that there, though, as well. And let's get into Betscope. And maybe just for folks listening, just to introduce Betscope, can you share a bit about just the core idea? What does it do? and, And maybe what customer or user problem is it solving? Sure. So the core idea of Betscope is to introduce and incorporate this concept of price sensitivity into a better's routine, into what we are shooting for with a more fun and engaging user experience, to say nothing of the fact that you know it actually works and is pretty good about finding the price discrepancies in the markets these betters should be attacking. So there's a one of the problems that it solves is just usability of odds comparison tools. You know, you go to any odds comparison tool out there, and there are plenty of places that are good at uncritically piping in odds data for a given game. In the modern sports betting environment, when think of a given basketball game, for example, where there may be 80 different markets you could bet on, it is way too cumbersome for users to scroll through every single one of those and assess which markets might be weak. It's kind of predicated on the assumption that you already know which market you want to go bet and you're just looking for the best price. What we're trying to introduce is before you even know what you're going to bet on, assess all markets possible in a game and look where the weak prices might be. In order to do that, you need two things. One, a meaningful way to compare markets where they might have disparate lines. You know, think of today example, I just looked at a a rebound prop for CJ McCollum where most of the market was settled on over under four and a half with a consensus of minus 140 on the under. What do you do when some other book is offering three and a half and minus 115 on the over or minus 120 or minus 125? Unless you have a pretty sophisticated distribution-based backend to evaluate that, you're not going to be able to meaningfully compare those prices. So One, we've built that infrastructure. And the other thing it allows us to do is to aggregate those projections and kind of come up with a market projected box score of how the market thinks 
all components of the game will go. So you can assess the entirety of a game in five seconds when it might have taken you 10 minutes before. The other thing that it does is kind of pushes users towards getting their money down on like those markets. So like most people come in, they say like, I might want to bet the spread. What we're trying to get them to go through is, okay, you think this team will cover. What specifically do you think will happen in this game? Do you think these players will do better? Do you think these players will do worse? Then the more and more you can narrow down your investment thesis on a given game, we can steer. you should be targeting those markets anyway, but we also make it easier to do that. Let's say you don't have a clear idea and you say like, ah, I don't know, I like this team to cover. What we'll let you do is change one or more values on our aggregated board and then click our stats button. And in a world in which you're correct, we will calculate all of the other correlated outcomes because in a world in which you're correct, all the other bets on the board are also different. So we'll calculate not only those correlated outcomes, but we will run every single updated number at every price at every book and give you a, a list of recommended bets that you should be targeting, most of which are the bets that you weren't even thinking about originally. One of the core concepts in the logic of sports betting is the best way to incorporate price sensitivity is to bet correlated outcomes in weekly price markets that align with your original belief rather than betting into full hold markets uh, with the original market. So we think we do it in a little bit more engaging way and we're going to help the betters win. Interesting. So you have a suite of tools here. How do you think about this product overall, just in terms of the positioning within the landscape, right? It sort of sits within this ecosystem of betting tools and sort of analytical type products. But I guess on a more granular level, Colin, like sort of how do you think about where this sits, both from, I guess, a competitive landscape perspective, but also from the perspective of the better and, you know, a better that might have a toolkit of different tools that they use at different stages of their betting process. Where does this sort of sit both from the betting perspective, but also more from the industry perspective? I think that our target demographic is probably the consciously incompetent better, you know, of the, of the, co of the conscious competence stage where everyone comes in thinking they know everything about sports. I know all the statistics. I watch every game. You start betting and you get frustrated that you're not as much winning or winning as much. Where we sit is there are these concepts that you know you need to incorporate like line shopping and price sensitivity, but it may be either too cumbersome or you're not really sure how to evaluate. And so like just given the rising financial literacy of people in general, I mean, we do have that whole Robin Hood boom, you know, think of the GameStop days where people are familiar with underlying concepts of things like price sensitivity and what odds are you getting? They just might not know how to capitalize on them. So we're trying to target those users who know that they need to learn a little bit more, but either don't know how to access that information or it's just too cumbersome. So we're going to try to make it easy. In terms of where it sits among this, like the tools landscape, um, I think there's uh, there's basically two classes of tools I look at. One is helping you originate and the other is helping you basically line shop. We're not particularly interested in originating as someone who has sat on that side of things forever, coming up with my own models, originating my own prices. It's a business, as a tools business. You don't want to be in that if you tie your lifeblood into to, you know, how good are your predictions? Because even like from a, you know, a business perspective, if you are right and the best in the world, let's say you're giving out something that wins 55% of the time, you're going to hit a downswing and you're going to lose people who are convinced that your stuff doesn't work when it's just the nature of variance. So there are other places that kind of obfuscate the success of their tools a little bit later. later I, but I think those tools 
are more catered around a fun user experience and are really decoupled from how well does that stuff work. Uh, and it's fine to build a business that way, but I'm too much of a purist. I can't sleep at night unless I know that my stuff is surfacing stuff that I would bet on myself. Fair enough. And I guess for the Betsco product, Colin, how are you thinking about monetizing it? And, and you know, to the extent that you've got the business model sort of figured out at this early stage, how are you sort of thinking about just the overall business model around Betsco? Our default is a standard B2C subscription-based product, you know, based off of my previous experiences consulting and working full-time at similar sports betting tools. You can make a good, healthy business on a B2C subscription product, given the right brand and given the right user growth. You know, given how much we're trying to optimize around creating a great user experience, B2C is a pretty natural fit. One other area that we've gotten a little bit of traction on, though, is, you know, the kind of spinning off components of all the calculations and distributions that we've done. And we can also function as an odd service with some add-ons and some differentiators, chiefly our ability to convert live odds into projections and distributions. There's a lot of places that can kind of uncritically pipe in odds data and maybe give you some bare bones calculation with things like identifying maybe arbitrage opportunities. But we have a far better suite of offerings in terms of what we can do with that data. So to the extent that people like fantasy providers might want like a sanity check and how their projections are, that's something that we're able to provide kind of almost as a byproduct of our core offerings. Awesome. Just sticking, I guess, with the betting tools landscape for a moment, you know, you've probably used all of them. You've had a hand in probably building one or two prior to Betscope. Just curious, Colin, like what's your assessment of the ecosystem of tools available on the market today? Is it as you know, mature and developed as it could be from the better's perspective, or is there a lot more work to be done for other entrepreneurs to step in and add value and, and create value in the ecosystem with new tools? Just sort of what's your pulse on, on that overall segment right now? Oh, we're nowhere near scratching the surface in terms of the types of tools that can be offered. I think what we're really seeing in the second wave is tools built by people who have been doing this for a while, as opposed to this kind of first wave gold rush where this is the, how they think that betters operate versus the people who have kind of been in the trenches are building things like forged out of the crucible of experience and the ability to impart that wisdom, I think, like opens up a whole new landscape. So I don't think we're anything close to maturity on this front. I think there are so many things just because how large the market is like there's always a quest, especially with building kind of the, some of these more high end things to up convert users from uh, like getting them on board with some of these core concepts. And so the bottom of the, of the pyramid is wildly untapped. And I think there is an enormous amount of untapped creativity to kind of up level that bottom of the market and try to get them to be a little bit sharper. I was just going to ask about that as well, insofar as mapping these tools and that ecosystem to the actual end users of these products. I'm just curious as well, Colin, like, how do you think about the total addressable market of people that want to sort of put in the work to become an advantage better or a plus EV better versus the segment of the population that, you know, may just want to sort of be spoon fed information or picks or actionable insights? Like, what does that distribution of the market look like to you? And, and just sort of how do you think about that just in terms of the opportunity size? Well, for better or for worse, I think the honest answer is I don't necessarily, because at the end of the day, Betscope is supposed to be something that I would want to use myself. And my co-founder and I long decided that whatever it's worth, it's it's worth. And I do believe that there is enough of a market there based on my previous experience at other tool, uh, tool tools places that it's a viable business one way or another. 
To answer your question, though, I think you're exactly right. There is a split market between people who just want to be spoon fed the answers and people who want to tinker, people who want to play around with things, people that want to feel smart by their own actions. And I think that component of a tool actually drives honestly, far more value than the actual results-based outcomes of it. I mean, I'm not worried about our ability to preserve, to produce winning bets. I couldn't turn that part off of me if I tried, but I think there's a real need to embrace like, yeah, people do want to feel engaged. That's called a good user experience. And it's like, there are basically two reactions to that from, you know, the betters who try to get into the space. You either bemoan it saying, well, who cares as long as you're winning money or you try to embrace it and it's another business challenge to solve. We're definitely more towards the latter. There's no reason that you can't serve as actionable, good winning information and create a fun user experience. They're not mutually exclusive in my mind. Great, great distinction. I also want to quickly just ask about the fundraising side of all of this. Obviously, to build a tool like Betscope, it requires resources. I get the sense just, you know, a lot of your time's gone into that so far. But just zooming out a little bit, how are you planning on capitalizing Betscope to enable the growth ahead of you? And just sort of how are you thinking about the fundraising side of it all? So we are entirely bootstrapped right now. That was a deliberate choice long ago. And we kind of set up our tech stack and our architecture to make sure that it incurs minimal costs. So it's not costing us much in the way of hard costs to run right now. That has been a very validating decision because we have learned plenty of lessons along the way, but the lessons have been cheap in terms of what we've gotten wrong. Like there, I know that if we raised early and we just spent a lot of money where we think we need to spend it, it probably would have had minimal returns. And like that just means we would have deluded ourselves for nothing. So we are going to try to stay honestly as bootstrapped as long as possible until we either get critical mass or we really know that we are optimized uh, to utilize any money that we would raise. I'm sure that we're not not optimized for it right now across any number of dimensions. And so one of the things I'm looking forward to post-GDE and kind of getting in these uh, you know, ad- advisory circles and being among people who've done this before is getting us to a place where we are optimized to take in outside capital if we would ever need it. So it will just be you know pouring gasoline on a fire uh, given the right setup. Yeah, fantastic. Sounds like you're really preserving the optionality at minimum and uh, to the extent you can maximize the runway while uh, remaining bootstrapped. I mean, that, that's every entrepreneur's dream, I think, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Looking over, say, a six to 12 month time horizon here, Colin, what are the major milestones you're focused on for Betscope? I feel like our medium term milestones are kind of very classic, like user growth 101. I think we've built the fundamentals of the product. You know, we're we're going to add two more sports, and I think that's going to be all the infrastructure that we need to kind of validate or t- test on any more hypotheses. Everything after that is growing the user base, base, both getting in front of more people and of the people we get in front of, figuring out how to best retain them uh, and optimize our UX for that. And so the the short term to medium term plan is once the user base gets high enough and we feel like we can turn on a paywall and you know generate enough revenue and not lose enough people from there like that'll make this a self sustaining operation there where we have enough you know actual revenue to grow like all the other ambitions we want to do we have tons more products we want to do in the pipeline long term but you know all of, all of it still kind of steers around validating the hypothesis of can we get users to become more price sensitive in any number of ways that we can. And so it's a tall order. No one's really cracked that nut, I think, really well so far, but we feel like we're up for the challenge. Awesome. And if we extend that timeline out a little bit further, say five years from now, looking into your crystal ball into the future, where do you see Betscope over that time horizon? 
I see Betscope having a suite of tools for users to really feel like that they are doing sports betting in the most intelligent way possible. Truly born of people who have been doing this, who know how to take a truly adversarial stance and just navigate, you know, the everything that comes at the change it comes at you in the changing sports betting landscape. And it's really just a one size, like through all possible venues. If you have a different opinion than any number of markets, we will find the markets to get your opinion down and make sure that you're able to capitalize on your opinion. Uh, that could be any number of tools, but like we'd really, I mean, we would like this to be the one-stop shop for people on how to navigate all the sports betting markets. And especially if it's, they've never done this before, we'd like to be the default assumption of how you do this rather than kind of the, you know, leftover design decisions of the past 20 years that are still getting propagated. But that's just because that's the way that it's been done before. Every entrepreneur's like favorite phrase when they hear that of like, no reason it can't be done a different way now. <laughs> no, I love that. Um, and my standard closing question, the most important one, if you weren't working on Betscope, if you weren't a data scientist, if you weren't doing anything in sports betting or data analytics in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? So I have an easy answer for this because it's probably what I was doing prior to become a data scientist. Uh, in a former life, I was an energy engineer crawling around boiler rooms in the Midwest doing energy efficiency studies. and I honestly love my time there. Like what you really get an appreciation for is there's just so many like smart people like that where you can't judge a book by its cover. Like the average guy that runs maintenance in your building with 50 keys on his, uh, you know, belt loop, like may not even have a college degree, but he is incredibly smart in terms of running complex systems like building engineering. And so like you come to appreciate how much like smart people that are in every walks of life from every single background. And on top of which, like, I think it's a worthwhile thing to put my brain power to like long-term. Don't get me wrong. This is fun. We're all here for a good reason. But at the end of the day, like it is entertainment. Once I've kind of accomplished everything that I wanted to in this space, I can't think of any better use than to, I don't know, chip away at this whole global warming thing, like one, uh, like one hack at a time. For folks listening that might want to check out the product and or get in touch with you, where can you point them towards to do all of that? You can check out Betscope right now. It is currently free. So you can go to www.betscope.io. Take a look at the product yourself. We have some contact information there as well. And you can also catch me occasionally on Twitter uh, at handle ADJ Baseline. Awesome. I'll put all of those in the show notes. But in the meantime, Colin, it's been awesome to chat with you today. Congratulations again on winning the Innovation Challenge at G2E. Really looking forward to continuing to follow the Betscope story and wishing you all the best for the months ahead here. Thanks, Jesse. Been a pleasure being here.